also a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. And diagnostic I, I felt like you were gonna <laughs> inject something else there. We don't usually record this early. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say something. You did. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't record this early, <laughs> and you can tell on this episode of the, the Holy, Holy Watermelon, Watermelon Podcast. Podcast. Everyone can hear our morning voices. Yum yum. <laughs> We're ready to roll. We'll see. <laughs> so last episode, we talked about... Communism. Communism. Why are we talking about this episode? Today we're going to talk about fascism. <gasps> the opposite. I mean, they're not opposites. They're on two different spectrums. Communism is an economic policy that had, leans into politics in other ways a little bit. Fascism is... A governmental style that occasionally includes economic policies. And just like last time when we talked about communism, we brought it around to validate its presence on our podcast. And fascism does a really good job of pushing its way into the religious sphere. I was going to say, it's like self-validating. <laughs> uh, the vast majority of Christians are patiently waiting for a world where everybody will kneel at the throne of a single god. One that is painted as darkly totalitarian in several Christian traditions. And this looks a little bit fascist in some situations. So before we get into what that looks like in the religious sphere, I think we do need to talk about fascism in general. And if we're not describing you personally, we're probably not talking about you. A lot of people get their heckles up about fascism. It's a word that gets used as a weird pejorative an awful lot more than it should. Yeah, a lot of people just don't like the word fascism because, you know, fascists were the enemies during the Second World War. And that's actually the only association that a lot of people have with the word is fascists are the bad guys without any understanding why. <laughs> so very few The point people... where some people don't even realize that they themselves... Are a fascist. Correct. Because they don't understand the word, they don't recognize what it means. I think Steve Rogers would really be really upset with the state of America right now. But that definitely played into his representation in the MCU. Hmm. That and when we first see him, he's got the star on, he's got the stripes. His second movie, Winter Soldier, there's no red in his costume anymore. And the star disappears by the third costume. And he becomes a lot less Captain America and more Captain Rogers. The Cap. Yeah. Interesting. Now i got to go back and watch him. Yeah. But I was thinking about that while I was researching. He, and he never introduces himself as Captain America. Ever? Ever. I believe it, because Steve was a humble man. He really was. Anyway. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Unfortunately, so this whole deal of fascism is just a label for the bad guys... It's a lot like communism. It's thrown around willy-nilly. And it's, it's kind of weird that a lot of people are comfortable with a lot of the ideas of fascism without liking the word for this reason. Because ultimately, it's like Caesar said in the new Planet of the Apes movies. Apes together strong. Really, you know, strength through unity. And if you've watched V for Vendetta, unity through faith is a big part of fascism. <laughs> so the word as we know it today comes from Italy in the heat of the First World War, built around the idea of strength through unity, as illustrated by the fascis, an axe in a bundle of rods or a bunch of arrows bundled together like in Spain and the U.S. Italy and Spain turned away from fascism after the Second World War, but America continues to use the symbol and the rhetoric. Yeah, that bundle of arrows is still on American money as it's printed today. Interesting. I didn't even know I had to look up. That symbol. And I didn't know it was on American money. Yep. It's not the exact same bundle of arrows that we saw in Spain, but it is a bundle of arrows. That's what it means. Yeah. Cool. Germany didn't bother coming up with their own symbol for fascism, but they embodied it so well that Hitler's Third Reich is the only fascist entity most people can name today. Yeah. When you talk about fascists, almost nobody today thinks of Italy or Spain. Sometimes but... I think about Mussolini. 
Okay, that's good. You're Just you're ahead of the curve. Thank you. <laughs> I like to think so. <laughs> yeah, the tricky thing about fascism, like religion and communism, as we talked about before, is they're a little tricky to define. Political scientists, historians, p- policy analysts, and sociologists are still having a hard time with this, even though it's been around for a hundred years. It's probably not a problem that's going to be quickly solved. Whoever wrote the Wikipedia entry summarized it as far-right authoritarian ultranationalism, which is kind of broad that describes a lot of different things. There's some wiggle room there. Yeah, and there's always perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, hopefully without doxing ourselves. I think our listeners know we're in Alberta. Yeah. And so our left-wing National Democratic Party in Alberta is the farthest right National Democratic Party in the country because we're in Alberta. And if they were any further left, they wouldn't get elected. They still barely get elected. Uh, one time. <laughs> like one time. Uh, and even seats, they have like, what, 10? Right. So there's like spectrums within spectrums. So what yeah. one person think is right, someone will think is far right, which someone will think is center. Because the NDP here sure get called commies a lot. And like I said, they're as far right as an NDP party can be. What? Yeah, calling them communist is... Incorrect. It's absolutely ridiculous if you actually understand what the word means. <laughs> well, yes, but that's for our upcoming political science podcast, which neither of us are qualified to talk about. Okay. Yeah. That's not coming unless you want it to. Drop, drop something in the Discord. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so thinking of the how we can define fascism. It's a little tricky. Benito Mussolini, the first guy to use the word as the leader of the Italian fascist movement, gave us a nice long speech to describe what he thought fascism should be. He said, political doctrines pass, nations remain. This is the century of authority, a century tending to the right, a fascist century. If the 19th century were the century of the liberal individual, This is the collective century, the century of the state. The fascist concept of the state is all-embracing. Outside of the state, no human or spiritual values can exist. Thus understood, fascism is totalitarian, and the fascist state, a synthesis and a unit inclusive of all values, interprets, develops, and potentiates the whole life of a people. Fascism is a religious conception in which man is seen in his imminent relationship with a superior law and with an objective will that transcends the particular individual and raises him to conscious membership of a spiritual society. Whoever has seen in the religious politics of the fascist regime nothing but mere opportunism has not understood that fascism, besides being a system of government, is also, and above all, a system of thought. That's creepy. I was going to say, that sounds very 1984, George Orwell. Well... He beat George Orwell to it by many decades. Right. But uh, George Orwell in 1984 was describing the world that George Orwell saw existing. It wasn't a prophecy of the future. It was the world he knew it. Fun fact, that is all dystopian novels. <laughs> yeah, pretty they, much. Yeah, no, that's yeah. actually, they're literally just describing the worst parts of the current world. Yeah. They're amplifying. So yeah. have fun reading your dystopian novels now, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if... If you can imagine it, there is somebody living it in some detail. I mean, if you want to talk about flying cars, we got a problem there. But That's not dystopian no. in and of itself. No. <laughs> the problems in a dystopian novel. The dystopia of a the, dystopian novel. The societies novel. that we yes. see in any novel exist in real life in broad strokes. But like I <gasps> said, fascism is hard to define. So I want to swing over to the next, well, a couple of countries over. Spain had their own idea of fascism. Uh, Francisco Franco, famously the leader of the fascists over there. What a great name for a fascist. Fascist Francisco Franco. Right. Franco Francisco the fascist. <laughs> Francisco sure. Franco the fascist. I said that wrong. <laughs> You'll be all right. What a great name. <laughs> anyway, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Frank. <laughs> Frank said... Wherever it manifests itself, fascism presents characteristics which are varied to the extent that countries and national temperaments vary. It is essentially a defensive reaction of the organism, a manifestation of the desire to live, of the desire not to die, which at certain times seizes a whole people. 
So each people reacts in its own way according to its conception of life. Our rising here has a Spanish meaning. So like Franco explains, well, and it's not that his explanation is functionally useful, <laughs> uh, it does play well into our point that what we're talking about is really hard to pin down. Fascism is not wildly different every time we see it, but it varies a fair bit. Well, and I, I think this is the problem even in, you know, we see in Germany in the 30s and 40s is it's so hard to f define. A, it escapes detection. Yeah. Before it's a problem. Yeah. You, it's really hard to identify until it becomes an obvious threat to the population. Yeah. Which is why you have so many people, apart from just ignorance, denying that there is fascism here in North America and that it's gaining its roots because it's been here a while and tiny little steps are harder to recognize for a lot of people. It's like cult indoctrination, which we're going to talk about right away, <laughs> right? This, where it sounds reasonable, and that, that was absolutely Hitler's politics, where it sounds reasonable, especially at a time of high inflation and national widespread poverty, it sounds reasonable. And then it becomes not reasonable, and it's you can't see it anymore. I mean, I just read uh, I Am Malala, Malala's book. She was shot in the head by the Taliban. Okay. Probably a decade ago now. And she was like 14 when she was shot in the head. And that was a really interesting part of her story is like she and her dad are like, is nobody else seeing this happen to Pakistan? And I was like, yay, the Taliban. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and then she got shot in the head. And now she's a super famous speaker and philanthropist. She survived. I have to assume that if she is. I wrote her book. Yeah, I read her book. Uh, post. Yeah, I know. Okay. That's kind of sucks, surviving a shot to the head. Uh, yeah, she's had like a dozen surgeries. So there's an Italian scholar named Umberto Eco. Uh, he gave us a pretty good list of things to watch out for back in 1995. So we've had this list for a while, and we're just not doing anything about it, apparently. <laughs> But his checklist is actually really solid. So all these things are things that you can expect to be features of fascism, some to greater extent than others in different iterations of the phenomenon. The first is the cult of tradition. Umberto says that when all truth has already been revealed, no new learning can occur, only reinterpretation and refinement. This tends to include cultural syncretism, even at the risk of internal contradiction. And... As you go, as we go through this list, I am thinking about how we see this in religion. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was 18 or 19, talking to a guy that I knew through the church and came up that I was reading other religious texts that weren't in our canon. And he was really stressed out about that. He's like, no, that's not okay. I'm like, there's, there's a lot more good things out there than our short list of books, buddy. <laughs> Well, then why is it not okay? Right? It's, I, I, but he I love couldn't that, explain it. I love that argument because it's like, well, take you away from the faith. That's often a, a reason. It's like, well, then our faith must not be very good if a couple <laughs> books can right? can change my mind. Yeah. Or you're only a half-assed believer of a couple, right? So either way. Right. If that's is it what, a loss? Yeah, if that's what's going to happen, then that's what's going to You're not preventing anything. <laughs> I digress. Yeah. But this is a a serious phenomenon that is a problem in some groups. I don't think I can, I don't recognize this particular detail in a lot of fascist movements, but I guess Hitler was pretty stuck on the old ways. I mean, I, thinking about what's happening now, we had a conversation with family this week and they were saying some very, not very nice things about, uh, you know, gender pronouns and oh, uh, that, that, some of that stuff. And they were, that. and uh, this family member said, oh, and they were talking, we're in Canada. So, you know, Eskimo versus Inui. And this family member said, are we just supposed to unlearn everything we learned in school? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, we are. Mm -hmm. When we get better information, yes. <laughs> I'm like nodding furiously at this microphone. I wish you, yes. <sighs> when we learn new things, we throw out the things. We no longer leech people. Did you know that? Someone learned that in school. Mm -hmm. Stop putting leeches Stop on people. Stop putting it's on not leeches okay. people. 
So that's, that, I guess that's sort of one example where perhaps the older generation is starting to feel attacked, air quotes, and they're leaning more into these traditions that, you know, is it, you know, we don't eat meat on Fridays. No, but, it, but it's some of these identity things. Well, even just the, the more obvious parts of science, it's we're, we're learning more things. Stop repeating the things that are misleading or have obviously been disproven. Yeah. And like, if we're teaching five-year-olds this new science that we've actually known for a couple of decades, and we've actually been able to simplify it so that we can teach it in kindergarten, because we were learning about planets in kindergarten. Back in the days of Galileo, that wasn't the thing that teenagers were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Traditions. <laughs> uh, Umberto's next point is the rejection of modernism. He says the rationalistic development of Western culture since the Enlightenment is seen as a descent into depravity, though fascist regimes show off their industrial might as proof of the virtue of their system as well. So there's some mixed messaging here. Technological modernism, cool. Moral modernism, Ooh, bad. bad. <laughs> Which is funny because most moral modernism is just like ancient morals that we forgot about because of the church. In many cases, that is the case. <laughs> the next one is cult of action for action's sake. He says that the idea that action is of value in itself should be taken without intellectual reflection. Don't think about it, just act. This is connected with anti-intellectualism and irrationalism, which we have been seeing grow rapidly and dangerously in North America, and I'm sure in other parts of the world too, but... My scope isn't over there right now. <laughs> yeah, action for action's sake. That doesn't even sound productive. That sounds super culty. Right? That is super culty. Not yeah. sound, it is super culty. Keep you busy so you're not thinking. Because yeah. we cannot afford to have you thinking about things. Anti-intellectualism is super important. We saw the fascists in Germany hunt down the Freemasons in addition to many other groups that they were abusing. This is a problem. Burning books, yep. Yeah. Umberto also says that this also manifests in attacks on modern culture and science. Get rid of the good literature. Get rid of the the Jewish science, as the Nazis called it. Yeah, problem. Uh, next on his list, Umberto has disagreement is treason. The idea that you can't think independently is authoritarianistic. We talked about this in our cults episode last year. Umberto says fascism devalues intellectual discourse and critical reasoning because they are barriers to action. Not because you might deviate and do the wrong action, but because thinking keeps you from doing the thing. Weird position to hold. <laughs> that's act actually, that's one of those ones that on the surface sounds kind of reasonable because we all having been in that moment where we're overthinking a decision mm -hmm. and it's at some point you're like, I should just pick something mm -hmm. or that's fair. You know, as a business owner, people who over plan mm -hmm. and don't execute. Right. I've mm -hmm. known tons of, I call them entrepreneurs, <laughs> entrepreneurs who like plan and plan and plan and plan and plan their business, but don't actually do anything to execute their business. So that's actually one where I'm like, Oh, that kind of, that kind of makes sense. Until you take it to the extreme. Until you absolutely, until you take it to the extreme where they even say like, if you're, you know, building habits, like just doing, just do it. And then everything else will come after. Mm -hmm. So anyway. I've definitely heard people talk about religion that way. Just, just do it. You'll get it. You'll, you'll start believe. That's a weird way to do it. Oh, well. <laughs> but there's a little bit more than this barrier to action. Umberto also describes it as a thing that's connected to fear that you'll notice the contradictions that are part of this syncretistic new cultural faith. So it's a little bit of the other thing, but mostly that barrier to action. And then the next point he brings up is the fear of difference. We have all seen xenophobia. That's a real issue. Fascism seeks to exploit and exacerbate, often in the form of racism or an appeal against foreigners and immigrants. And I've, I've been doing a little bit of reading specifically in this field recently. And a lot of times growing up, it always sounded like Hitler hated the Jews because of their faith, that they were singled out because they weren't Christian, because he did 
lean into the Christian thing a little bit for a little while. No, he hated the Jews because of they were a different race in his perception. Had nothing to do with what they believed about God or religion. It's just, I mean, either way, it's still othering, but it's kind of a weird little detail. Mm, there you go. Next on our list, we have an appeal to the frustrated middle class. I know too many people who I who think that they're super special, who are definitely in what we would call the middle class, the working class, and they are terrified of immigrants. And you can guess which way they vote. And their loyalty definitely bumps up against, against fascism. It's really creepy. I never understand sort of this white supremacy stuff where it's like, when's it going to matter? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I remember watching a video on YouTube and someone was like, in whatever, some dick white supremacist was like, well, I'm trying to keep America pure for my grandchildren. I'm like, you're going to be dead. Who cares if she marries a BIPOC? Right. You're not going to know. Mm-hmm. How does that affect you? <laughs> yeah, that's the real question. Why does it matter? Anyway. What, what value does that have? It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have any value. Oh, no. Somebody's got a tan. <laughs> <laughs> if you were that worried about the whiteness of your skin, you wouldn't go outside. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't go outside, but that's for other reasons. I have sure. a desk job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another really interesting thing is the obsession with a plot. Umberto says, this obsession with a plot and the hyped up threat of a looming and exaggerated enemy is really important. This combines xenophobia with a fear of disloyalty and sabotage from marginalized groups living within the society, such as the German fear of the 1930s Jewish population. That there's always got to be this story that elevates my people. And obviously, a good story has an antagonist. So there's somebody around us who's really holding us down and keeping us from progressing towards our goals. And that person is definitely local. Definitely a Jew. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Ouch. It's not. It's not. It's really not. But it all, all conspiracy theories come back to that, though. I mean... The vast majority. I won't say all conspiracy theories go back to anti-Semitism, but... A lot of them. A distressing majority. <laughs> this one, this next point, we are seeing so much in North America, and it drives me crazy. We see it all the time for Prime Minister Trudeau, mm -hmm. that he is both simultaneously incompetent and... An evil mastermind. Right. <laughs> this is the worst dictator who can't he's get anything done. He's such a dictator. <laughs> COVID's planned and he's so incompetent. Yeah. Like, I don't love our, no. pr our prime minister, but I have a much more realistic perspective. Oh, yes. <laughs> so anyway, fascism's enemies are at the same time too strong and too weak. Yeah. So please listen to your friends and family talk about your political leaders and see what kind of rhetoric they're using because this is coming up a lot mm -hmm. like a lot a lot on the one hand fascists play the power of certain disfavored elites to encourage in their followers a sense of grievance and humiliation on the other hand fascist leaders point to the decadence of those elites as proof of their ultimate feebleness in the face of an overwhelming popular will those people they're they're so powerful but we'll overpower them you can't have it both ways <laughs> <laughs> Those Dungeons and Dragon players, they're so popular, they can't be kicked out. <laughs> uh, Dark Dungeons, what a ridiculous movie. I love it. <laughs> Pacifism is trafficking with the enemy because life is permanent warfare. I mean, white supremacism, white, su yeah, white supremacism really leans into this. Yeah. That if, what, if you stop fighting against the others, because I don't want to pick out one race. If you're not white, you're you're the others. BIPOC is great. <laughs> sure. It's 
I hate it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So there must always be an enemy to fight. We touched on this. The principle leads to a fundamental contradiction within fa- within fascism. The incompatibility of ultimate triumph with perpetual war. So, and this is great, question mark. Um, <laughs> they're always othering someone. So even if they've, air quotes, taken care of, then they'll just find someone else. Mm-hmm. And they'll find someone else. And they'll find someone else until they come for you. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah, there we we don't know who was going to be the next race on Hitler's terrible list, but luckily we didn't get that far. <laughs> Thanks, Captain America. <laughs> See how I brought the episode full circle. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. Uh, Batman did some Hitler punching too. Oh, yeah. Nice to keep yeah. up with Captain America. I don't know who don't did know. it first, but who punched it him? wouldn't surprise me if it was Captain America. I don't know. <laughs> Back in the good old days, popular comics had everybody fighting the national enemy. It right. just makes sense. Great. I love it. <laughs> the next point is contempt for the weak, which is uncomfortably married to a chauvinistic popular elitism in which every member of society is superior to outsiders by virtue of belonging to the in-group. They encourage leaders to despise their underlings up to the ultimate leader who holds the whole country in contempt for having allowed him to overtake it by force. That's creepy. A little bit, yeah. I don't know. It's... Fascism sucks. It's very <laughs> aggressive. Yes. <laughs> Everybody is educated to become a hero, which leads to the nationalist cult of death. The hero is impatient to die, and in his, in his impatience, he sends other people to death. So we see this with the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, suicide bombers, even Japan a little bit. I mean, this is, it's a little bit of a problem here in Canada. Actually, I mean, I was going to say. if you look at the American armed forces. I was going to say the American army is very, like. This is their cult. (laughs) I don't know where you're tuning in from, but a lot of people think Canada and the U.S. are similar. We are so different once you, like, know. And the U.S. and pageantry is, like the biggest difference like it always surprises me when i'm flying a u.s airline when they're like military please board first we do not do that in canada or on canadian airlines i don't know what this obsession with getting on the plane first is but i love watching americans fight for this right and then you just sit there and wait in a different in a different tighter tube than the hotel open space and not the hotel the airport open space and then people push past you and bump you while they get to their seats. How is that desirable? Also, <laughs> because I've had so much luck flying, being stuck on an airplane that is not moving is the worst. It sucks. So you absolutely <laughs> want to be the last person on the plane. Yeah. I have been just like, I've sat on the tarmac for hours before, and it, they don't blow any air because the plane's off. One time they let us disembark because it was going to be hours. <laughs> but yeah. If I know the plane's just going to sit there forever, I absolutely won't be the last one on the plane. Right? The only advantage that I see is the knowledge that you're not going to miss your flight. Or if you're a window seat, because then I wouldn't want people climbing over me. Oh, sorry. If you're an aisle seat, I wouldn't want people climbing. No, if you're an aisle seat, go on last. If you're a window seat, go on first. I don't know if I'm going on last enough. I have to climb over people. Sure, that might be a little awkward, but at least I'm not throwing the ass in my face. That's true. It's your <laughs> ass in their face. Yeah. Go on last. It's win-win. <laughs> <laughs> if you are the policymakers for airlines, make some changes. <laughs> wow. Uh, expanding on this idea of everybody is educated to become the hero. There's the idea of machismo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, machismo brings the work of permanent war and heroism into the sexual sphere. Fascists then have only intolerance and condemnation for non-standard sexual habits, from chastity to homosexuality. Anything that's not strong heterosexual males. Missionary style. I mean, probably. Definitely no Amazon position for these guys. <laughs> So this, all of this added to a actual serious hatred for women. And I mean, I've watched enough Trump, Trump rally footage to see that the women who show up to these often hate women. It's very messed up. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's so girly. Uh, even that 
that's an idea that is really endorsed in this movement. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Then we have selective populism. The people conceived monolithically have a commonwealth distinct from and superior to the viewpoint of any individual. As no mass of people can ever be truly unanimous, the leader declares himself to be the interpreter of the popular will, so he must stand in as a dictator. Fascists use this concept to delegitimize democratic institutions they accuse of no longer representing the voice of the people. Kind of like the Capitol riots on January 6th last year. Yeah, where <laughs> we thought this was faked, and I'm pretty sure it was not. What a disaster. Right. Newspeak. This comes straight from 1984. It does. <laughs> Newspeak. Fascism, fascism employs and promotes an impoverished vocabulary in order to limit critical reasoning. Mm -hmm. And I've heard people argue that being politically correct is Newspeak. Let, let's go through that, that d description, how he describes Newspeak again. Employs and promotes an impoverished vocabulary in order to limit critical reasoning. If we ask you to stop saying Negroes <laughs> and start describing people more individually, more faithful to their origins, more faithful to their real identities. How they would like to be called. Yeah, that's not an impoverished vocabulary. <laughs> and I mean, we can come up with all kinds of extra words to replace the words that we're trying to get rid of. But if they're not the words that people want, why are you doing it? <laughs> this goes back to the family conversation we had last week and pronouns and, you know, we're a little bit of, you know, transgender people changing their names mm -hmm. and this comment of like, why are we calling people all these different things? So I was like, well, we don't call you fat white lady. We call you by the name you want to be called. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> I saw a great meme. It was basically like people get all... Hackle their hackles all up about having to use different pronouns for people. And it's like, you think misgendering someone isn't important until you call a straight white man a she. Mm -hmm. And then, <laughs> then they get it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Address the bouncer at the club who's obviously roided out of his mind. Ma'am. You have and a see lovely night, ma'am. You will die. <laughs> Uh, trans or not, you're going to have a real hard conversation that's not just going to be words. <laughs> <laughs> so Umberto was talking about fascism, but hopefully as we went through this list, you can see how some of these principles are really well espoused by churches. I mean, the tradition, new speaker, every, I mean, Sometimes. every group has their own lingo. Yeah, um, which is different. It but... is. There is a Can point a where it hits into the bite model of yeah speaking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot that it's very easy to see in extremist religion groups. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So 1995, Umberto Eco gave us this great list. And the same year, Stanley G. Payne gives us a much shorter guide to identifying fascism. He gives us the idea of fascist negations. Basically, there's a handful of things fascists definitely are not. So fascists are, generally speaking, anti-liberal. The liberals are too individualistic, which is, I don't know. I When I think of liberals, I usually think of people who are, you know, looking for a better society. But they are that, also after their individual uh, rights. It's, it's They're coming for a better society, but I definitely see what he means by this in that, like, People want their own pronouns and their mm -hmm. own, yeah. So there's individual like, freedom, right? Exactly. So, yeah, you know, we talk about this romantic spectrum and a sexual spectrum and a gender spectrum. So yeah, mm -hmm. we're break starting to break this binary where I was like, there's A or B, mm -hmm. and that's I mean, even 15 years ago, you were straight or you were gay, mm -hmm. nothing in between. You were a man, mm -hmm. you were a woman, nothing in between. So yeah, there is this sort of individualism of yeah, you know, you can be a she they, you can be a they them, you can be a he they, you can. You got options. Yeah, you got lots of options. So that I can see from the individualistic perspective. Yeah. Fascists are famously anti-communist. Communism is too egalitarian. And fascism sometimes will talk a little bit about egalitarianism 
for a short time. It is it's mostly a recruiting technique. I was going to say, it's like this weird, like, group thing, right? So in, mm-hmm. that, in that way, you'd think, or, you know, strength through unity. Right. So it kind of leans into this egalitarian idea, but... Communism is where the community owns everything together. Exactly. It's not... Socialism, tech. not so much. And fascism... Not is at all. very yeah. seriously opposed to this idea. So uh, when you describe somebody who's pretty close to center as communist, and as a pejorative, you are announcing yourself to be at least leaning into fascism, if not fully committed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but fascism is also pretty anti-conservatism because uh, the conservatives aren't right enough. Yeah. They, they see themselves as separate and obviously far superior. We're starting to see this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, if anybody's telling you that your conservative party, whatever name it goes under, isn't far right enough, Red run. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 ding. But there are some specific fascist goals that are maybe a little bit more helpful. The creation of a nationalist dictatorship big red flag if you've gotten that far it's already too late (laughs) start organizing underground yeah usually this is to regulate economic structure for the fascist governments that we have seen actually leading a country usually it's controlling the economic structure which is different than socialism in a few important ways (laughs) but the the socialist part of the national socialist movement that was nazism they were socialist to the point that they had a good war engine going and that's it (laughs) their war machine was the only socialist feature of the entire program apart from let's let's help germany and help the german people by you know destroying the non-germans in the nation that's not socialism (laughs) no I once had a guy tell me that socialism was what made the Nazis bad, not fascism, not nationalism. It was their socialism. I was just like, you have no idea what you're talking about, and you clearly reject reality to the point that we cannot continue this conversation. So can you please define socialism for me? That <laughs> was a ridiculous conversation, and I'm glad it was short-lived. <laughs> <laughs> This dictatorship that we see in the the fascist goal also is intended to transform social relations with a modern self-determined culture. Favoring a single race is usually the deal. And it is a feature, not a bug. That if you really want to have united people, you need to start looking the same according to this ideology. Some parts of Canada and some parts of the United States do a really good job of being united with they don't look all the same. And that's cool. Mm-hmm. Other parts of the world do it much better than we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Which just proves that this idea is fallacious. And then the last fascist goal that I have here on Stanley's list is that the conversion of the nation into an empire is super important. Usually this includes ideas of expansion. Mussolini really wanted to rebuild the Roman Empire. Hitler wanted to control all of Europe. And I had an interesting conversation with a friend this week that if things had gone just a little bit differently, if if peons hadn't made a couple of false steps, maybe the Axis powers could have actually ruled the entire Eurasian continent. <laughs> that would be bad news. <laughs> and I'm glad things went the way they did in the second world war mostly there's some things that are pretty shameful but for the most part it turned out turned out well okay. for us yeah. in canada anyway and then stanley talks about fascist style that a political aesthetic of romantic symbolism and political liturgy is really important the pageantry you were talking about in america very much resembles what we see here mass military mobilization Mm-hmm. Big problem. And I mean, if you want to overpower your political enemies, this is a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Positive view of violence. Like we talked about that. Well, Umberto mentioned this and 
Stanley has this really succinct statement. Positive view of violence. There's a lot. It feels gross to say. <laughs> but Catholic Church, the Taliban, gun control in the United States. That's right. I said it. Yeah. Well, just the number of times you hear the phrase, you want to fight. I mean, th these people are looking for violence. Yeah. It's not that everybody who says that is a fascist, but this idea is really valuable to fascists. And of course, that machismo, that promotion of masculinity, but also the the idea that youth is super important is really, oh, yes, we're, we're pretty ageist all over the place. <laughs> I was just reading a stat that ageism is the most, like, air quote, acceptable form of discrimination. Yeah, pretty much. And it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And, of course, charismatic authoritarian leadership is the fascist style. There's definitely overlap between fascism and cults. And then, obviously, that heads well, into religion. And Authoritarianism is the thing that binds that all together. But it's a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we don't have a singular definition for fascism for everybody that, that we agree on. We have a solid checklist of things to help us when we see it. And this is the same with religion. We can't really <laughs> define religion, but there's a few key characteristics that if you follow, you're probably a religion. Yeah. Or you're probably a fascist. Those things that if you've been paying attention, you can, uh, you can recognize it when you yeah. see it. Yeah. It looks like a turtle and smells like a turtle. It's a fascist dictator. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. I don't know why I picked on turtles. I'm so uh, sorry to our turtle listeners. Well, there's a merch idea. Well, and you can kind of a little mustache and you can saluting. Yep. <laughs> Turtle Heil. <laughs> That's terrible. I can't make that. You no. can't have people walking around with that one. No. That would be a problem. That would be a problem. <laughs> I don't think that no. would sell. No. <laughs> We'd um, get kicked out. Not to the people shirt. that we want to be making money from anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, fascist movements are usually born from despair, uh, often caused by increased disparity in the disappearance of the middle class. Make that middle class fight back and really claim their spot so that they don't, of course, disappear into poverty. This is what we saw in Italy. It's what we saw in Spain. It's what we saw in Germany. That's what we're seeing in North America today. So then, of course, I came off the, came upon the term theocracy in our mm -hmm. research, and mm -hmm. so I, we can probably do a whole episode on theocracies. So, a theocracy is a system of government in which priests or religious leaders rule in the name of God, or and yeah, in God or other gods. That's <laughs> you weird. Got it. I know it's just worded weird. Because I copied from Oxford English Dictionary. Okay. <laughs> that makes it sound like there's only one God. In the name of a God. So while not all theocracies will necessarily be fascist, it's pretty fertile ground for mm -hmm. a fascist movement. Yeah. They gave some examples when I was researching of theocracies that aren't fascist. But there's well, not very good. many. <laughs> and then, again, you don't need to be a theocracy to be fascist so Mussolini yeah theocracy Hitler wasn't a theocracy the short definition that's maybe a little too broad but fits nicely is that authoritarian nationalism theocracy authoritarianism very important if you're ruling with a religious power that power is super important to you that authority needs to be respected and obeyed. And if you have this re national religion, nationalism comes way too easily. So like we said earlier in the episode, religions can look fascist, especially the monotheistic religion. So most Jewish, Christian, and Muslim theologians see the world ending with some sort of God acknowledging unity among all nations. Most religious people see the social progress made in the last 500 years as a bad thing that the world has gone soft on sin. You know what the best part about this is? Is that it's a revolving 500 years. <laughs> In the next 500 years, I'll think the last 500 years were shit. Probably. <laughs> Many religious people, regardless of religious denomination, fear formal education and science. I have heard way too often. Why? Why? You go to college with all those, all those sectarian teachers? 
than the the secularists. I actually <laughs> I was on YouTube just scrolling and I found a a video from a lady who was part of the same group as the Duggars, which name escapes me right now. Mm-hmm. Bill Gothard, mm-hmm. his school of thought. And her story was actually very similar to Sarah's, who we had on the podcast mm-hmm. a long time ago, where she was allowed to go to college and all of her friends were like, what the fuck? And so now it's just the sense left. And, and yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And I mean, I guess rightly so that they fear it because this is what happens. People go, that's not normal to be tied to your sister. That's what happened in this YouTube video. Wow. Or you can go back to Sarah's story and listen to some things that aren't supposed to happen in your childhood. Yeah. Formal education is good, depending on the source, I suppose. <laughs> That's the trick. But also just becoming more aware of what's out there is a good thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's why interacting with other people is so great because it kind of, I mean, it moderates everything, right? If you're only in this group of people, whether it's a fascist group or a religious group or a cult or whatever, and you don't realize your beliefs are way out there. And maybe someone you meet, their beliefs will be way out there in the opposite direction. But the more people you meet, the more you go, oh, this is where we need to be to all get along. Mm -hmm. Many churches push their members to actively proselytize for its own sake, just the act of getting out there. You tried, that's what matters. Rather than teaching them, go and practice love, go and be a good person. (laughs) Like Jesus said, don't be a dick. (laughs) Philatians 6, 9. Many churches discourage congregants from questioning leaders, traditions, or passages of scripture. Yeah. Trust my authority. Trust the book. Don't think about it too hard. Gross. Yep. Many religious traditions include guidance against marrying or even socializing outside of the group. Seen that? Plenty. Yeah, this is where we get, <laughs> again, going to talk about Sarah's interview, the worldly, you know, the Of the world, but not in the world. In the world, not of the world. In the world, not of the world, yeah. yeah. Which, like we mentioned, has been interpreted interpreted a couple of different ways. Oh, absolutely. Everything from, like, sort of normal to terrible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Many religious groups treat members poorly because they are seen as less faithful for any number of differences of opinion or practice. Yep. Can't hang out with Dr. Beck because he's a weirdo. Uh, you see this sometimes <laughs> in Islam where they're encouraged to pray five times a day. So if you pray anything less, then people can see you as not as good of a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I remember when I was in Jersey. Good times. A lot of fun experiences there. And one day we were walking down the street in Newark. And we saw a couple of guys in their front yard on their prayer mats facing northeast. So you're supposed to pray facing Mecca. That's the rule. And I just don't think there's anywhere in New Jersey where Mecca is northeast. (laughs) But I suppose I'm looking at maps of the paths that airplanes take. Maybe the shortest way from there to Mecca angles that way. I don't think many people have ever worried about the actual shortest path around the globe when deciding which direction they pray. But now I need to look into that more. Wow. <laughs> I feel like you're overthinking this. Just do which Preston. Which is anti-fascist. I was going to say, just do Preston. <laughs> Christians like to paint Satan as too strong to be allowed into the gates, but too weak to reverse one's claims on salvation. And that you must always wear the armor of God against him. That constant war with an enemy that is both too weak and too strong, but with whom there is a promised victory. It's a couple of features and feels a little bit weird. It's presented differently in different groups, but some Christians are fertile ground for fascism. Oh, we'll get to that. Most Christian groups and many other traditions insist that unless you're obedient to the man in charge, you will suffer eternal torment. Authoritarianism can be extremely dangerous, and even in the best cases, is still not good. Yep. And of course, we can get 
more specific, we can find more issues that line up with the criteria that we've been given by Umberto Eco and Stanley Payne, all kinds of things. And seen them in a lot of religions, especially with the danger cults. Danger cults and then, yeah, extremism as well. Like you said, you see it a lot with the Taliban and then there's some Christian group popping up that are getting scary. And... You're trying to tell me they're not danger cults? <laughs> I, I would say, I guess that... There's a, we've had this discussion about how to define a cult. I think the Taliban's probably too big to be considered a cult, right? Okay. And kind of the cults in I my accept. brain are like a small interest group. Because we haven't got a great definition for cult. So I just accept your... Right, so <laughs> like when you say cult, I think of like Jonestown uh, sure. and People's Temple, which absolutely falls under this. But then the Taliban that has such a broad spread across the Middle East is a lot bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And then there... I, based and we're going to get this into islam a bigger religion we don't have a great definition of cults either so (laughs) this is one of those episodes where we just kind of talk around the issue (laughs) well we we penetrate through it without telling you what the wall looks like (laughs) that's the trick (laughs) so generally people don't complain about fascism as long as they're in the in-group but fascism is especially appealing to most religious conservatives and extremists and fundamentalists we've yeah, even the Catholic Church was a fan of fascism until they saw the damage it was doing. In 1929, the Catholic Church signed the Lateran Treaty, being friendly with the Italian fascists. They did get some nice little benefits out of this. The papacy gained state sovereignty because the, the Italian regime before that wasn't that kind of friendly. Uh, the church actually finally got paid for lands that had been taken by the previous regime before the fascists took over. So that was nice for them. You know, this is before the terrible St. Teresa of Calcutta made them a whole bunch of money. Oh, good. Good. But, of course, this amity only lasted about two years before things went sour. The church denounced the idolatry of the state and all of the obviously hateful violence. It's like, oh, turns out this fascist government's really terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Espousing some fascist ideas is different than saying, yay, fascism, but it's still dangerous. Just like, you know what a great real world example of this is? The board game Secret Hitler. Sometimes putting down a fascist policy helps your cause. Right. But it's That's the only way to kill Hitler. Super dangerous. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well. If you're into board games like Secret Hitler. <laughs> Highly recommend. I once played a game of Secret Hitler with some friends a few years back. Well, okay. I've there? actually played it a lot. You weren't there this time. Where was I? I don't know. I had some friends over that I hadn't seen in a little while. And this friend had married a girl from the States. <gasps> I know this story. <laughs> I've yeah. told you before. Yeah. Okay. But tell it for our audience. All right. It's so good. <laughs> and nice lady, good guy. And so I'm explaining the rules to them. She, as an American got really, really uptight, I guess. She was offended by the idea that there was a a dichotomy between the liberals and the fascists, that that somehow the two parties in the game mirror this real-world principle that you have to be either a liberal or a fascist. And that was a really weird conversation to have. (laughs) How did it end? I was just like, it's a role-playing game. And in this role-playing game, there are two parties. And please, whichever side you end up on, try to win. (laughs) This is make-believe, ma'am. Right? (laughs) It was an interesting conversation. Oh, boy. So now we're going to wrap up this episode with getting into some specific examples of religious fascism that we've seen or are seeing, unfortunately. Again, this is mostly with the monotheistic traditions, the Abrahamic traditions. So we're going to start with good old Christianity. (laughs) Christian fascism has been a long time coming, unfortunately. Uh, Sinclair Lewis, a novelist from the 1910s to about the 1930s, said, when fascism comes to America, it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying a cross. (sighs) The number of pictures I've seen... And videos that I've had to listen to of people saying Trump represents God. I mean, 
one, if you know anything about this man's personal life, you know that's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) This does does not jive well at all with the Christian view of God in any religion that I've ever dealt with. I don't know. It's very weird. Yep. And uh, actually, I didn't put it in the notes, but one article I read was from 2007 on Christian fascism, which is why I didn't quote it because it was quite old but the lady writing it was writing about her professor who 20 years prior had said it's coming mm-hmm. so in the 80s he was like mm. and it's here it's here uh, <laughs> so christian fascism is becoming more prominent in the united states and canada and i'm sure elsewhere in the world but we see oh, it yeah. here so the goal is to create a christian theocracy as opposed to the current secular model with this freedom of religion and where we don't make decisions off of people's religion right i mean I have heard so often, even in my family, people talking about fears of, with all these Muslims moving into our country, we're going to have to live under Sharia law. Oh, we're already under a religious law, but yeah. it's not Sharia. Right? How is it different? Yeah. So weird. I, I and feel I like mean, we've had this We have a, a bonus <laughs> episode on abortion and mm-hmm. Sharia law. Obviously, there's problems with it, but... There's places where it's better than mm-hmm. Christian law. Sharia law allows abortion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Which for most Christians I is mean, not good terrible. news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not most Christians, but an awful lot of vocal Christians. So there is a problem with the evangelical movement. The basis of the movement encourages a close and personal relationship with Jesus. So far, that sounds okay. If you want to be friends with a guy who is very deeply socialist that's okay but the problem comes in when you basically convince yourself that anything that you can create your own echo chamber and just ignore the socialist gouge your own eyes out jesus just cherry pick the the bits that you like you gotta make him the friend you want to have yeah which makes sense but know that if you're making something up, you've just created a fiction. Yes. <laughs> and that is not different from the idol worship that your religion tells you to avoid. <laughs> so with the standard of to be a good evangelical Christian, you just need a close personal relationship with God. Um, so you are a good Christian, good Christian, air quotes, without actually having to do anything that benefits the wider community. As long as Jesus is your best friend, you're golden. And I don't know about you and your best friend, but me and my best friend are pretty terrible people together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I feel like I've said this before, that there's a difference between being in love with somebody and loving somebody. Mm -hmm. You can be obsessed with somebody. That's that's basically being in love. And if you actually love that person, you're going to pay more attention. To what he wants from you. Yeah. And we got an awful lot of Christians who were in love with Jesus that do not love Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And and with evangel- evangelicalism, there's no public theology or standard that uh, these evangelical groups live by. You're, yeah, you're sweet as long as I As long Jesus. as you tell people that you're in love with Jesus, everything's fine. Gross. <laughs> it's probably like, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> oh, Go give to the poor instead. Yeah. Mm. Christian fascism loves a very specific type of Christian as well. Specifically, the evangelical, Protestant, conservative, white, American-Canadian-born Christian. Man, that's awfully precise. (laughs) Yep. It is not the everyman's Christianity like somebody preached. I don't... Do you you know who might have preached an everyman's Christianity? Give any names like Jesus. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, anyone who might have said it's for everyone. Right. Maybe like Peter. Mm-hmm. Would he have said that? Yeah. 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 Paul was pretty vocal Paul of, hey, that. just be good. Have faith mm-hmm. in God that everything is going to be okay. You don't have to cut off bits of your body to have a good time with the Christian church. Wow. Yeah. Like, it's like nobody's ever heard of this before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Christianity is great source material for the disenchanted. It promises utopia. The I, I'll spell this with a E. I was like, utopia did I spell it e. wrong? 
there's no, you went in. Utopia, the good place, as opposed to the nowhere place. We talked about this before. Yes, no, with, I know. I'm... Well, what was his name now? Why is it gone uh, from Thomas my Moore. head? Thomas Moore. Yes, it was Thomas he Moore. He wrote Utopia. Yeah, he did. Because people do struggle to make ends meet, and politics are getting more divisive, and it feels like the whole world is going to hell. And unfortunately, this is a sort of garden that grows fascist plants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so red flags that we're seeing as per our lovely lists of what fascism is, particularly in America, but we're starting to see this in Canada, is anti-immigration. In the States specifically, the repealing of Roe v. Wade. Creationism yeah. in schools. We don't see that too much here, but... Yeah, like in Catholic schools, sure. And other Christian school schools... It makes sense. Don't teach creationism in science class. Which in the states in, are. In your theology class or your religious studies class. Yeah, that makes sense. Creationism doesn't have a whole lot of scientific evidence backing it up. <laughs> and then anti-LGBTQ plus and racism. Yeah. Um, definitely feels like it's growing. So Anti-women, anti-immigration policies. I mean... Yeah, there's lots of things to let you know, hey, we got a problem with the system. So a study was done, and I thought this was super interesting. It was a 2017 Baylor University religion survey. And I guess it like, makes sense, but the more in favor you are of a Christian theocracy, the less actually religious you are. Mm -hmm. So defining religious as um, actively praying, worshiping, attending church, paying tithing, uh, the less like you are to do that, but the more you want a Christian theocracy. Uh, and again, yeah. I, we're going to talk about Islam. It mirrors this very well. The Taliban is a great example of that. And like I said, I read I Am Malala and the Taliban sweeps through her home in Pakistan and they're quoting the Quran and they're like, that's not Clearly no one here has read their Quran because this is wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, yeah, so the less exactly mirrors it pretty great that the more in your Intel Qaeda or ISIS, the less Muslim you are. Right. It's, it's interesting that we can see this in North America, that when you're taking the opportunity to shout once or twice a week about how great it would be if our nation was a faithful nation, the, so many people take that as an opportunity to not have to worry about it in their own personal life because they look good for shouting it once or twice a week somewhere outside. Yeah. So I didn't actually find a lot of unique notes on Islam. It mirrors the Christian nationalism, national uh, Christian fascism. Especially very much. in the groups that we've already mentioned. Yeah. So it's just geographically different, but the process is... Pretty Identical. similar. They're getting, yeah, they're getting more fundamental in their beliefs, and then they're getting more violent and thinking that an Islamic theocracy is a great idea. Gross. But then I was looking into Zionism. A uh, thing that deserves its own episode. We'll get to yeah, later we'll this touch year. on it just briefly today. <laughs> our episode that's already well over an hour. And Zionism's so interesting because the Jewish community was so affected by fascism in World War II. And now, if you're in Israel, you're basically doing the same thing to Palestine. This idea of creating Zion, getting a Jewish, the establishment of a Jewish homeland, is very much a Jewish theocracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of rough, and it does have roots back to before even the First World War, which we'll get into later. But it's it's caused some serious problems. The ongoing Israel-Palestine conflict is. I'm not 100% sure I want to call it fascism, but it definitely does have a lot of the red flags we've talked about today. Well, and I, I saw... Uh, I'll decide more later as we... As we, when we as actually we dive into Zionism. <laughs> uh, I saw a news article not that long ago, and I wish I could find it, but uh, I think it was the Israeli military was disrupting a Palestinian funeral. Like, the guy was already uh. gone. And so the comments were like, this is so beyond religion at this point. So mm -hmm. again, reflecting back to the more you want to create this religious nation, the less religious you actually are because a good Jewish person, a good Christian person, a good Muslim person would never interrupt 
the funeral of a, dis- a good person, period, would never interrupt a funeral of a deceased person, yeah. whether you agree with them or not. So Zionism isn't just popular for Jews, though. Christians also actually really like Zionism. Because if we can get the Jewish people to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem, a lot of Christians see that as a very good thing that will help trigger the end of the world. And I mean, there's an awful lot of firepower backing up the opponents to that movement that maybe if the Jewish people, the Israel, the state of Israel were to take back the, the temple grounds, they would potentially start a war that would be catastrophic for huge chunks of the world. Yeah. And so this is in the Israeli-Palestine issue. There's They get a lot of backing. Israel gets a lot of backing from American evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of firepower and a lot of money in the States. Oh, it's yeah. quite terrifying if you get too far down that rabbit hole. Yep. But, well, <laughs> so everyone, while it's important to know what's happening, please protect your mental health. Right. Yeah. Religion and fascism. What a weird marriage. Yes and no. <laughs> right, like we said, there's a lot of it's bad news. It is oh, it's absolutely bad news, but it's without good leaders in place, it's not a far step right. to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's happy for a Saturday morning <laughs> recording. Wow. Yeah. So we can <laughs> obviously continue the this conversation and explore it a lot more on our Discord. Yes, join us on our Discord. We are growing pretty steadily i've been quite happy yeah. uh, we are also on facebook and instagram mm-hmm. if you want to support this podcast so we can do more great episodes perhaps more frequently you can check out our patreon where we have some bonus episodes that have been released recently and, and we've got merch on our spread shop yes and we have again two a couple new pieces on spreadshirt so at least go check them out and maybe put something in that shopping cart. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Peace, Peace be with, with you. you. By the late Middle Ages, the Christian prophecy